This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and use the J. Scott promo code when signing up to receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I'm your host, J. Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com, or on Instagram, at PhoneScope. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Steve Chappell of Chapel Hunting Productions, Chapel Guide Service. Uh, Steve and I have known each other, oh, Steve, going on probably 20 plus years now. And uh, we used to be partners in the uh, guide service. And uh, you lived down here in Arizona for a while. And and uh, uh, we've been friends for a long time, and it's uh, going to be great to have you on the podcast to talk about the Arizona elk application period coming up here and talking about some of these elk units. How are you doing, Steve? I'm doing great, Jay. Thanks for having me on. It's a privilege to be here. Yeah, it was uh, great last year in Unit 9, actually. Steve and I were camped within eye shot of each other, and uh could wave at each other every day going in and going out and it was good to see you and and uh, uh some of your guides and and uh, gary stanley and it was good to uh, reunite with you again and get to share share a meal and a few conversations and um good to see you uh last year yeah that was a lot of fun and i got to hear what a good elk call should sound like from about 100 yards away <laughs> I, I um I I probably wore Gary Stanley out uh, out there trying to tune up my elk calls um <laughs> for sure. But speaking of sounding good, um I got to go over and get a little tune up the first day I got there. I said I need a little tune up, so Steve whips his call out, and um it was it was good to see you, good to good to um, be around you, spend some time with you, and um, I want to talk today. I know. We're getting a lot of phone calls from people with bonus points and a lot of phone calls with people without bonus points. I wanted to talk about the Arizona elk draw, and I thought you were a perfect person to talk about. You actually have a DVD out um, that explains the Arizona draw, and uh, I was wondering if you could just go through this year some of the things that are a little bit different uh, than last year uh, with the Arizona draw as far as a few of the changes and such that have been made. Yeah, you bet, Jay. Um, something very big did happen. There were kind of rumors about it last year, but no one, nobody knew for sure when and if it would happen, but it actually did this year. And what that is, is the Game and Fish uh, sought to correct what had become basically a bonus point draw for the non-residents, which means that for any of the, the better archery hunts or basically all of the early firearms hunts and the, and the better late rifle hunts for elk, the draw had been uh, had become about whether you had enough bonus points to draw or not. And if you didn't have the bonus points for a particular unit, you just flat were not going to get the tag. So in order to, to correct that, what they did is they, they're now allowing only 50% of the non-resident quota, which we know there's a 10% non-resident cap in the draw. 
So the, 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 the non-residents are limited to up to 10% of the tags. They're not guaranteed 10%, but if they happen to get there, they're cut off at 10%. So what the Game and Fish is doing is they're, they're limiting the non-residents to 50% of that 10% cap in the bonus point round, which is the first phase of the draw, and then they're moving the remaining 50% into the random phase of the draw where a non-resident could draw in that random phase of the draw. Now, those tags aren't guaranteed to non-residents only, so residents could pick up a few extra tags there as well. So it's actually really good news for residents, to be honest with you, and um, pretty good news for non-residents other than those that have really high points and we're about to draw a, a tag. So, um, you know, kind of a big shake, shake up in the draw, but I think overall it was a good move on the game and fish's part. Yeah, and Steve, um, just looking at the statistics and looking at the numbers, if they only do 5% to non-residents in that bonus pass, I mean, that means that 15% are going to go to residents, correct? Yeah, I mean, exactly. Yeah. So in essence, if there's residents that are maybe a point or two under what would normally be the resident, you know, bonus point pass number to, to, to get in, that number might actually creep down, whereas the non-resident number may actually creep up. That's exactly right. What you're going to see is more of a differentiation between residents and non-residents with bonus points, because obviously now, like you said, with, not, with residents getting 15% of those tags in the 20% bonus point pass, which is the first phase of the draw, their, their points are going to get purged quicker. In other words, when they draw... They're going to go back down to you know zero bonus points, so there'll be a lot more residents that that's happening to. And meanwhile, the non-residents will continue to build points and be carrying high point totals. And like you said, with the non-residents only getting five percent of those tags, yeah, now a now a, a resident could potentially say draw a unit nine tag with less than eighteen bonus points this year. I mean, who knows? They may be able to draw with fifteen or sixteen potentially this year. Yeah, it's going to be definitely interesting to see how it shakes out, and I think uh, all of us are probably going to be very interested to look at the, you know, after the draw numbers when the Game & Fish provides those numbers and see what actually did happen. I, I think, you know, it's a double-edged sword, but for, for the majority of people out there that don't have the max points, you know, they now have a mathematical chance to draw unit 9 or draw unit 10 or draw unit 1 or a 3C, you know, where, where uh, you know, I think Arizona has lost quite a few applicants that, say, had, say, 17 points and they drew, you know, one of the high, high tag uh, uh, units. And then they never even apply again because they're like, why should I? I, I mean, I'll be dead by the time my 17 points uh uh, come around again. Yes. Um, and so I think it's actually a great opportunity for the state. Uh, granted, yeah, we're going to have more applications, but um, let, I mean, let's face it, our state needs money in order to provide all of these opportunities. And the more people that can buy licenses and the more people that can apply, it's good for our state. It's not great for drawing, but it's good for our state. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, just the thought of having the possibility of drawing that great tag instead of knowing for sure that you have zero chance is just really exciting for people. I mean, yeah, like specifically that Unit 1 archery hunt with 300 bull tags, you know, 30 potential non-resident tags, and 15 of those are going to be in the random draw up for grabs you know, that's a fair amount of tags to have a shot at. So, yeah, it just makes it exciting for everyone, keeps everybody's interest up. And, you know, yeah, like you said, under the old system, if you drew, you knew you were looking at by the time you built to the points that it took you to draw the tag now with point creep, if it took you, say, 17 years to draw now, it might take you 30, 35 years to draw again. So people were just discouraged to, to continue applying. And I think it discouraged young people from getting into the game, like, you know, somebody that's just fresh out of college in their early 20s, uh, you know, looking at maybe being 40 to 50 years old before they have a shot at a good tag. Um, and, and this change in the draw has made has made that all different and encouraged those type of people to apply. Yeah. And um, Steve, I'm also hearing something about a point guard. And I, I don't believe that that point guard where you can turn your tag back in. Uh, I don't believe that that is going to be applicable to this um, elk and antelope draw. I think it's going to be in the deer draw coming in June. 
Uh, have you heard about this um, proposed situation where you can actually uh, give your tag back uh, prior to 24 hours to your tag, uh, your hunt starting, and you get your points reinstated? Uh, you obviously have to pay the tag fee, but you don't lose your points. Yeah, I had heard about that. I'm not real read up on it. Um, I do believe that it has a stipulation that you can only do that one time. Right, one time. for that bonus point. So if you had 20 points and you put in with someone that had, uh, you know, less points and one of you had to cancel, that's that's a one-time deal. Yes, exactly. I mean, I know a guy personally who that who this would have been great for. He had a severe car accident this last year he had a unit nine archery tag and he wasn't able to go on the hunt because of his injuries and i mean he would have been a prime candidate for that yeah um and then steve uh there's obviously big things going on on unit 10 on the big bokeas ranch and seems as though the uh, message boards and the forums are just blowing up and a lot of people are upset and it's 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 uh everybody is frustrated in the fact that uh, they're going to charge instead of charging, you know, sixty or eighty dollars a nominal fee. It looks like they're going to have high demand hunts and be charging five hundred dollars uh, to hunt and limit the number of hunters. And you know, I understand both sides of the argument. And I would say the the, the guys that are upset on the high fee, uh, you know, that it's a checkerboarded land. You know, they're saying it's public land that's checkerboarded with private. Well, really, it's state land. It's not public land. Right. It's state land, which is different. Right. Um, but I totally understand, and, you know, $500 seems uh, extreme. Um, and then the other side says, well, you know, $500 to be hunting a 750,000-acre uh, uh, ranch, $500 fee in any other state, that would be 5000 Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but... I understand that that ranch has been open for a long time, and it, it it's just amazing to me how it always comes to a head right before application periods when they had all year to work something out with the Game and Fish, work something out with the owner of the property uh, and the leasee of the property. It's just why you know why does it always come down to right before we're applying for you know it it just seems odd to me that they can't get things like this resolved where hunters can then make a good decision and, you know, apply for something that they know the, the total rules. Yeah, because you go in with a little uncertainty. Matter of fact, up until the last couple of days, I've been having to tell people that I talked to on the phone about Unit 10 that I'm a little uncertain what's happening with the Bokeas. And, you know, that, that makes up roughly 50% of Unit 10. So, I, I also noticed that the tags were reduced. The archery hunt went from 200 to 125 tags, and the early rifle hunt went from 100 down to 40, which I think is a good thing. But it also made me a little suspicious that maybe something was going on there in the negotiations or maybe we weren't going to get access at all. Um, and then as it turned out, like you say, uh, we see that the that the antelope hunts, the, the archery and the rifle antelope hunt, and then the archery and the early rifle elk hunt are going to be that $500 fee, $80 uh, for, a, for a guest. You can have up to two guests at $80 a piece. And then uh, they, they also ding us guides for $500 a piece <laughs> for guiding on there. So, yeah, it's definitely not painless to hunt on the Bokeas. But, you know, like you say, it, it is a phenomenal place to hunt. And uh, when you think about it in the big scheme of things, $500 when you compare that to other 750,000 acre ranches that, you know, that kind of puts it in perspective. Um, but I do yeah. realize that, you know, $500 is a lot of money to most people. And, you know, it is to me. And um, it's it's kind of unfortunate. We had that uh, access for years and years, basically for just signing up and, you know, you know, getting a permit that you hung in your vehicle and uh, it'd kind of be nice to go back to that. But it looks like the, those days are gone and we'll just, we'll just deal with it and move forward. I, I think the unfortunate part in it, you know, it happens in our society is, you know, 90% of the people are great. 90% of the sportsmen do everything they're supposed to. And then there's 10% that, you know, just pay no mind to anything. They do whatever they want. And, uh, you know, they ruin it for the rest, rest of the, you know, 90%. Uh, as well as, you know, uh, within the last couple of years when the, there has been, you know, where you had to have a placard hanging uh, on your mirror and you had to sign in and guides had to, uh, you know, get their get 
you know, pay, I believe it was $200 and, you know, get their stamp and get their, your sticker, so to speak. There's been guides, uh, that have totally abused it. And it, it's like, well, the, in my mind, the, the guides and the hunters that did not pay the access fee and didn't play by the rules, they're to blame also. They're the ones to blame yeah. if they're not going to play by the rules because hunting, uh, you know, whether we like it or not, it's a privilege to hunt on private land, whether it's checkerboarded or fully deeded. Yeah. Um, the state law is clear and, you know, guys are upset, but if they're upset, they need to go change the state law, you know, it, but they also need to play by the rules. And I think it's unfortunate that we've got, you know, we had we had rules set out and guys didn't play by the rules. You know, I haven't been on the Bokeas Ranch, I believe, since 2009. Uh-huh. And, um, you know, back when I, I hunted it in 2005, it, I believe you were there that year yes. um, with us. Um, you know, an unbelievable experience. And I just think, you know, they've had a big tag increase and, you know, they've whacked the elk pretty good. Um, and, you know, it is still a great place to hunt, but I wish sportsmen could all get together and, and um, you know, follow the rules and do what we're supposed to so that, you know, things like this won't happen. If we were an easy group to work with, <laughs> you know, this probably would have never happened. And, you know, yeah. I, I, I would say 90% of the sportsmen are great and fantastic to work with, but then there's that 10% that ruins it for everybody. Yeah, exactly. You know, aside from paying the permit fees and hanging that placard, I mean, it's just simple things like closing gates. If you come up to a gate and it's 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 open. Typically, it should be shut. You're going to see a little sign on there that tells you, please close the gate. Um, you know, things like that, things like not throwing trash out, things like when the roads are wet, not driving on them and rutting them all up. I mean, like you say, we can be our own worst enemies, abusing the privilege and, you know, abusing the hunt environment out there. And yeah, I think a lot of the reason we get just further and further restricted and it gets more and more expensive to hunt on these kind of places is because of our our own doing to some extent. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a quick break here and then we're going to dive into each of the units and um, get kind of your take on on all the different aspects of uh, drawing these tags. Sounds great. This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and use the J. Scott promo code when signing up to receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I'm your host, J. Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance product formulations. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order in January 2016. Okay, Steve, I want to cover uh, Unit 9, 10, uh, Unit 1, 23 North, 23 South, and 3C in this first discussion. Um, let's start out with Unit 9, and both you and I were in Unit 9 last year uh, for, the, for the month of September, and uh, Unit 9 last year, the resident pool was uh, for the archery hunt was 14, uh, early rifle was 19 as a resident, and the late rifle was 6. I'm looking at my Go Hunt Insider. There's a little chart here. Uh, for resident, it was 17 points, uh, 20 points for early rifle, and 6 for late rifle. Uh, what are your thoughts on Unit 9 archery hunt this year? I know the tags are, the archery tags are still 100. Um, they, they have the dates of September 9th through the 22nd. Uh, for me, I feel like the, the dates are a little bit early. I think the bugling will be a little bit sparse yeah. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I am happy that they don't have a muzzleloader or an early rifle hunt before the archers. I thought that was a wreck. Uh, <laughs> yeah. t- tell me your thoughts on Unit 9. 
Yeah, exactly. Um, you're right. Having that early hunt prior to that archery hunt was a train wreck, and I feel really bad for people who burned a lot of points on that hunt because it, it just wasn't a bugling, epic, early rifle-slash-muzzleloader experience. Um, yeah, you know, I'll tell you what, Jay, after this last year, I, I said to a few people, I'm done predicting what the rut's going to be like because elk are elk, and they do what they want. They do it how they want. Um, you know, last year I was predicting a phenomenal rut and it just didn't really happen. Um, so like you mentioned, it does concern me a little bit, those hunt dates, the 9th through the 22nd. And I also noticed there's a full moon on the 18th, which could impact the, the, the latter half of that hunt. Um, so, so what I've always said to people is I feel like the wheelhouse of the rut in Arizona is basically from the 18th of September into those first few days of October. So looking forward, I see that the archery hunt next year with the new five-year season structure is going to be the 15th through the 28th, which is going to be really, really good dates. Uh, so yeah, I'm just a little concerned basically for all the units, uh, for the, for the early hunt dates, but I think even if the hunt starts out slow that we should have some good hunting, you know, say from the 15th, 16th and beyond. Uh, so for anyone that draws these tags, I would recommend definitely, you know, being able to stay toward the end, or if you have to pick days, um, pick the later days in the hunt versus the earlier days. Yeah, and, and Steve, uh, it seemed like last year you and I both were very optimistic about and you and I love calling and we love the bugling aspect of the hunt. And, yeah. you know, we love to call bulls in. And, right. you know, it seemed like we would come back to camp and I'd look over at you and you'd give me the like, what the heck sign. <laughs> and, you know, it seemed like we did that a half a dozen times. Yeah. Um, and, and I wonder how much of it was just pressure from uh, the, the, the early rifle or excuse me, the, the muzzleloader hunters in there and all the jostling. So it's like just about the time they you know, wanted to get cranked up, they had a bunch of traffic and it kind of pushed them down and kind of slowed them up. And uh, it didn't seem like they really got bugling hard until the last four or five days of the hunt. But, you know, granted, that was pretty late. That was pretty late in September. I mean, it took them a while to really get ripping. Yeah, because Unit 9 actually had a later hunt date than all the other units last year. It was the 18th through October 1st. And you know, thank goodness for those later dates or it would have really been tough. And I agree with you. It seems like these elk will have a little bit of a false start to the rut every year. And if they don't get a lot of pressure, yeah, they will continue to bugle and they're, you know, they're fairly callable early on in the season or, or, or even prior to the season. Um, but yeah, when they get pressured and, you know, there's a lot of activity out there and they're getting called at and bumped around, it definitely does seem to set them back and stall the rut out for a while. And I believe that's what happened there in Unit 9. And it, it took it a while for it to get going again. Yeah. Um, so we've talked about the archery hunts, uh, the uh, early rifle hunt this year. I think the early rifle hunt in 9 this year is going to be great. Yeah. Uh, I think I think those dates uh, will be fantastic, you know, the week after the archery hunt. So it'll start on the 23rd of September. I think that will be a real premium hunt for, for anybody that's looking for that, you know, great early rifle, real intense bugling. I think it should be pretty good. Um, I, I don't deal with uh, the late hunts anymore. Um, I don't know if you do late hunts in Unit 9. My, my impression would be, you know, Unit 9 is pretty thick, a lot of pinion juniper. Um, you know, it's definitely, I think, one of the harder late hunts. Um, you know, you've got some of the stuff up in the upper basin where, you, you know, you can glass a little bit and you can glass a little bit out on the west side. But um, I think Unit 9 in general for a late hunt is probably a pretty tough hunt. All late hunts are tough, but Unit 9 uh, I think would be pretty dang tough with the lack of, of glassing yeah, opportunities. Yeah, I, I, I agree. In general, it's not a real glassable type unit. And obviously the elk have probably learned and been conditioned over time that if you you know, hang out around Red Butte, <laughs> you're going to have bullets flying at you during that late season. So they're just not hanging out in those areas that are real glassable. So it's almost really a hiking, um, still hunting kind of hunt, to be honest with you, on the late hunt to be successful. And yeah, for it being really my favorite early season archery and early rifle unit, it, it's really way down on the list for me as far as late hunts. So yeah, I would not look to hunt that unit and put it on the top of the list if I were a late hunter for sure. 
Yeah, let's um let's jump over to Unit Ten. Um, obviously, we talked about the Bokeas Ranch, and there's some uncertainty as to the tag numbers that are going to be allowed on the ranch, and uh, it looks as though there's you know a $500 fee for the archery and the early rifle hunts, the high demand hunts. Uh, you know, I keep telling people if you really want to get the best information, I would probably wait to the last couple of days to, to apply in Arizona. Right. Although I think, you know, that's a double edged sword because you wait too long and maybe they have problems with the computer and, you know, uh, you know, there's, you have trouble getting your application in. But I, I think, you know, we're sitting here the 27th of January and there's still quite a bit of time before I believe we're, our deadline is the 9th. Is it the 8th or 9th? Yeah, it's the 9th. It's that Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, every Tuesday it's the 9th. Um, I'm going to kind of sit back and just see and see what happens. Maybe the Game and Fish and the landowner will come to an agreement. Maybe the price will be 500 Maybe it'll be dropped down to, you know, 60 or 80 bucks. Maybe... Maybe something can happen, um, you know, and, and quite honestly, with 125 tags, uh, right now they're only saying, you know, 50 uh, tags will be allowed on the Bokeh. Exactly. Well, from one perspective, you think, well, if I'm one of 50, that's going to be an exceptional hunt. Well, if I apply now and, you know, six days from now they come to an agreement and it's like, uh, no, we're going to let all 125 hunt the Bokeas and it's only going to be $80. Well, there's probably some people that would have said, well, maybe I wouldn't even applied for Unit 10. Exactly. Um, because, you know, 125, even though they dropped it down from 200, and in my mind, that's a good move, that's still quite a few people uh, bouncing around. Yeah, exactly. And Unit 10, it, you know, is a really water-centered unit. In other words, it's an arid unit, so the elk are going to be fairly concentrated near water sources. And if you get too many people out there, you know, like we had with the 200 tags, it can really influence the quality of the hunt. And if it does stay at those higher prices, if it does stay at 500 to access, and, you know, not everyone wants to pony up that kind of money, then those that are hunting outside of the Bokeas could have a, you know, not quite so great a hunt because it could be pressured up outside the Bokeas. So, yeah, I don't really know where the middle ground is and where the best answer is going to be, but I, I agree with you. And if you're considering applying for Unit 10 and you have not done so yet, it might, you know, might be in your best interest to wait until those last couple of days and see how it all irons out. It, it kind of appears like they've come to an agreement and it's going to be what they what they have on the on the Bokeas Ranch website, but uh, that remains to be seen. Yeah, for sure. Uh, if I'm looking at my chart here, my Gohan Insider chart, uh, Unit 10 Archery for resident, uh, the max point pool was 9, early rifle uh, was 19, the late rifle was 5. If you look at the non-resident, it's early archery is 15, uh, Non-resident early rifle is 19 and late rifle is 6. Um, it's going to be real interesting to see um, if that number of 9, you know, unit 10, 9 points as a resident, if that slides down to, you know, guys with 7, guys with 8 getting that tag in the max point pool, um, as well as, you know, no one really knows exactly how it's going to break down because there could be people that don't apply because there's uncertainty. Um, it's, it's, it's an interesting unit. Unit 10 is such a big unit and, you know, there's no live water. Uh, there's, you know, stock tanks and water troughs. Right. And, um, you know, much of that is, you know, over half the unit is the Bokeas. And, but there are other areas to hunt in Unit 10. There all are also other private ranches in Unit 10. And um, one thing I think is if they have lowered the tag numbers, I think we could see a, a, a rise in quality where I think since the last time I, I had a tag in 2005 and it was an outstanding year and there were a lot of great bulls. Yeah. And ever since then, it's just continued to drop in, in quality. And there'll, there will always be some great bulls in unit 10 just because of how big and how thick yes. the country is. Right. Um, but you know, I like the tag decrease. I wonder if it was a biology deal and they said we need to lower the tags or if like you said, 
you know, there was they were trying to play around with the with the landowner and and anticipate that maybe the Boquillas would be completely closed down. I don't know exactly what is happening, um, but Unit Ten, uh, you know, a lot of that awesome country that we've that we've grown to love. Um, it's just an incredible place, and um, it's definitely uh, you know it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm kind of like you. I'm anticipating it being a better hunt with the fewer tags. I'm anticipating the bugling being better, especially when we get the later hunt dates next year for the archery season. Um, I've kind of noticed a trend in that Unit 10 success rate on the archery hunt has been going downward, and I think, again, it's because of the tag numbers. And the, to me, when you see a lower success on archery hunts, that means less bugling activity. Uh, you know, if you were to contrast Unit 10 with Unit 9, you're going to see 9s running about a 50% success rate on the archery hunt year in and year out, which is pretty unheard of. And then Unit 10 is typically down in the 30s, sometimes even dips down into the 20s. And to me, that always equates to less bugling activity is why you see those lower success rates. Yeah, for sure. Um, let's jump over to two of, two of our favorites, uh, 23 North and 23 South. And, um, you know, with only 15 tags in each of those units, uh, none of the uh, no non-resident is going to draw that in the max point pool. And I think that has caused a lot of turmoil in its in its own right. And I've I've talked to a lot of people that are upset about that with high points because they were wanting to get a 23 north or 23 south tag and be the only non-resident in the unit. Well, now. Uh, it's going to go, if there is, correct me if I'm wrong, but if there's one non-resident drawn, it's going to be in the random pool, but that doesn't necessarily mean that any non-residents are going to draw. That, that's correct. They're not guaranteed to draw, but if one does, it is going to be in the random pool. Uh, what, I've, what I've learned <laughs> over time is that if you have a .5, in other words, 15 tags, if you take that times 10% for the non-resident cap, that comes out to 1.5. Well, the Game and Fish actually rounds that 0.5 down to 1. So, hence, that's why there's only one potential non-resident tag. It's kind of interesting because, by contrast, when they when they round bonus points, if you were to apply with another person and your, your bonus point average came out to 0.5, they round that up. So, that's kind of interesting to me, but it, it, that definitely plays against the non-residents. Uh, you know, matter of fact, I've I've talked to some people who that's directly affecting. Uh, one gentleman from Texas who had 18 bonus points and has been holding out for years and years to draw 23 North and was thinking that his time was coming, you know, to draw that guaranteed tag. And and, and now he's he's not guaranteed that at all. He's going to have to to look elsewhere if he wants that guaranteed tag. So you know, a little unfortunate to him, but again, for for everyone, I think it was the right decision when you look at the big picture. Yeah, and interesting, you know, Unit 23 North, um, from head to toe, top to bottom, you know, is covered with elk, um, 15 tags that can make for a pretty enjoyable hunt. You know, the, the unit in itself is, is, you know, when you take just 23 North, it's not that big, right. um, but there is elk in every corner, and it is a good bugling unit. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily known for super high-end bulls, but it's really known for a lot of bulls, you know, 330 to you know say 350 maybe even 360 right. um it just seems like there's a lot of them where if you contrast that with 23 south uh very pockety not a lot of elk but there's a chance for a big big elk yes um and but there's also a chance going out and maybe not even hearing a bugle um you know and it, it's very rough 23 south you know is is mostly quad access and ranger access and yeah. you know utvs uh, whereas 23 North is uh, very accessible by vehicle in most all areas. And, um, you know, Young, Arizona is kind of the, 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 the uh, divider between the North and the South. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, both are neat units. And it's, it's very interesting to see that, you know, the crown jewel, so to speak, now is not going to go to, uh, for sure, there's no guaranteed non-resident tags in there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I think something interesting about 23, especially 23 North, for a non-resident, I, I know guys that have hunted states like Wyoming or Montana or Idaho or Colorado, um, you know, they they understand and realize that the deeper you go, 
the more elk you typically get into, you've typically got to go back and get into holes where the elk get pushed into. And, you know, then you come to Arizona and you get in a unit like 23 North and it's not that way at all. And, you know, guys almost have to push the reset button because these elk can be right off the roads. I mean, you can hear them bugling, you know, right from camp, right from the roads. It's it's almost literally like being in a national park. I, I call it a, a Disneyland elk hunt, uh, to be honest with you. And again, you just have to push that re reset button because it's just such a phenomenal bugling unit. Uh, you know, as you say, there's a very high bull-to-cow ratio, and that, that equates to great bugling. Uh, it borders the White Mountain Apache Reservation, so you've got those, you know, 20-plus-thousand-dollar Apache bulls coming back and forth over the fence to rut. It, it's just a phenomenal, phenomenal unit. Yeah, I I really like both 23 North and 23 South. Um, I've had good success, as, you, as, as have you, in both units, and um, just a real pleasure to hunt there. Um, and you know, it's, it's, uh, shaping up to be a pretty good moisture year. You know, it's a little hard to predict here, you know, nine months out when our elk season is. Um, but so far, uh, we're definitely not below average. Uh, things are looking pretty good. So I'm expecting that central Arizona 23, uh, north, south. I think it's going to be probably a pretty good year over there. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. That's one thing we can count on, I think, is, again, having good antler growth, at least for the start this year. And I think it will be a good antler growth year because I, I believe we're in a super El Nino winter, and it's it's kind of been that so far. Um, again, what I'm not going to predict is the rut after last year. I tend to be a little off on that. So I'll let the elk tell us what they're going to do, and we'll just uh, we'll just go with it. Or we can just say they're not going to bugle and it's going to it's going to suck and uh, maybe they'll prove us wrong because it seems like every year we get all fired up thinking oh they got great moisture they're going to rut early they're going to bugle yeah. they're going to tear it up they they kind of loll out on us but um, right on let's move on to um, unit three C and uh, if I look at my chart here three uh, C for non-resident archery uh, thirteen points. Um, and uh, seven points for the late rifle. For resident, it is uh, 10 points for the early, for the archery and 19 for the early rifle. Yeah. Uh, 3C is a pretty cool unit in the fact that it's, a lot of it is burned and, um, you know, it's the, the habitat for elk since the fire. Uh, I, I really enjoy 3C. They bugle well up there. Yeah. Um, and it seems like there's quite a few elk, um, and uh, it's definitely something that, you know, someone with, with uh, wanting to come from, from out of state, 3C is definitely a unit that they ought to look at. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's got elk top to bottom, east to west. The whole southern border of, of 3C borders the White Mountain Apache Reservation. So, again, you got that Apache genetic in there. Um, yeah, you know, archery hunting, the burn can sometimes be a little frustrating just because, you know, the elk can look and see a ways and it's it's a little hard to get tight to them. But, you know, it is huntable definitely. And, you know, you've got pinion juniper on the north side of the 260 um, that's pretty much not burned. Um, yeah, and, and the elk are, are typically vocal in the unit. I, I enjoy that unit a lot. Matter of fact, it's often my second choice on my personal application. So, uh, yeah, really do love 3C. It was taken off of the alternative management program probably over uh, about five years ago, but I don't know how much impact that's had on the unit. I think more so it's it's slipped just a tiny bit in quality. I think that's more due to the fire, uh, you know, kind of getting old. It, the fire was in 2002, and it seems like a fire for, you know, about five or six years really pumps out some potent feed at, uh, following the fire. And, you know, now we're almost a decade and a half beyond that fire. So, you know, kind of the feed has kind of lost its potency a little bit. But I still put 3A3C definitely, you know, in the top three to four units in the state for sure. One of the things I like about 3C with having the 260 run basically east to west in the whole unit, I mean, you can literally hunt the west end of the unit in the morning and the east end uh, in the evening, right. uh, you know, by using the 260. So as far as getting around... Um, you know, it, it's pretty good to, to be mobile in the unit, and um, I like that aspect. And, and like you said, you know, you can hunt south of the 260 and hunt the timber, hunt the pines, 
Um, and north, you can get out in the Pinion Juniper, and um, there's it's a real diverse unit. And, yeah, um, Jay, I'm glad you mentioned the 260 because, <laughs> matter of fact, that reminds me, that's where I had my most uh, close encounter with a vehicle with a big six-point bull. I, I almost hit <laughs> a six-point bull on the 260. <laughs> and I tell you what, it about scared me and my hunter half to death. I just, I literally missed him by inches. <laughs> yeah, it's um, crazy how those elk, you know, in 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 the dark, they're just out there, literally standing on the road. Yeah. So you got to really watch it on those early mornings and, and and after the evening hunts when you're driving back in the dark. Sometimes, uh, you know, I I think in the winter, our we put salt out on the roads, and I think it bleeds off of the interstate there and off the 260 and into the into the shoulder into the ditches there. And you know, I think those cows they just love to come out there and 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 you know, feed on that, that grass and such right off the highway. And, and, um, so yeah, you got to watch it for That's sure. Exactly. <laughs> um, Steve, let's talk about, uh, unit one, uh, unit one, as far as I know, there's no changes in the tag, uh, numbers, uh, this year. Uh, there's, uh, 300 tags at one time, uh, I believe three years ago, they had the tags up to 350, which yes. was crazy, way too many yeah. tags, but, um, you know, unit one is probably the best um, vegetation and best habitat in the state and probably has, you know, it's, you know, if they would bring the tags down to, say, 150, it'd probably be the greatest elk hunt in the state. Uh -huh. yeah, no um, you know, they have they have twice that with 300. And I hear lots of great things about unit one. But what I always hear hand in hand with the with the great bulls is um you know lots of people and you know camp not only is there you know hunters camped everywhere but there's uh you know um campers and it's just a great place beautiful place to camp so it's a very congested area um if i'm looking at my chart here one two b and two c um uh you've got the resident early archery 11 points to be in the max pool now, keep in mind, this is going back when it was, you know, uh, not the five and five for the non-residents. So there's 11 points for the resident, 17 for the early muzzleloader, eight for the late rifle, uh, 14 for non-resident, 18 for the muzzleloader, and nine for the late rifle. Um, what are your thoughts on unit one, Steve? Yeah, I, I totally agree with everything you just said. I, I feel like historically... Unit 1 was a better hunt on the archery hunt, especially when there was 150 tags. That's what it was for years and years. And then after the wallow fire, um, you know, apparently the elk herd has just become prolific in there. So in an attempt to, to manage that, they really pumped the tags up, uh, you know, maybe not considering the quality of the experience when you're out there. Um, yeah, so doubling the amount of tags definitely has an impact on the unit. Although, again, it's a, it's a big unit. Uh, got a lot of country elk are, you know, all over the unit, north to south, east to west. So there's lots of areas to hunt. So, you know, what we always do when we're hunting, if we're running into a lot of pressure, is we move. You know, it's it's not inconceivable to, to hunt 20, 25 miles away from, you know, where you were the day before. So, you know, we're able to move around in a unit like that with, with good road systems. Um, yeah, as you men mentioned, it's probably the most picturesque elk unit in the state it's got everything from you know high elevation ponderosa pine uh well uh, actually spruce and aspen country at the higher elevations then at the mid elevations you got the ponderosa pine and then it then it drops into pj country so you've got everything there so uh it, it also has a reputation for being a great great bugling unit uh and, and again if you look look at the arch archery success uh, statistics, you'll see that bears that out. It, it runs, you know, anywhere from 50 to 60 percent, which is really, again, unheard of for an archery hunt. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great bugling unit. It would just not be nice to see the tags come down a little bit in that unit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even if they could drop it to 200, I think the experience level would go, you know, the enjoyment level would go way up yeah, exactly. um, for sure. Let's um, let's talk about unit 27 and I don't have any experience. I'll be be real honest. I don't. I've never been in Unit 27 for elk. But Steve, I know you have. And if you look at Unit 27, there's obviously some big changes this year. The uh, early rifle hunt. Um, let's see. Is it an early rifle or is it a muzzleloader? Uh, I believe it's a uh, rifle. Rifle is actually going to go 
in front of the archers, just like Unit 9 last year. So the week before is actually going to be 40 tags. Uh, it's an early rifle hunt in Unit 27. And then the 27 dates are going to bounce back to the 16th through the 29th. Yeah. And I, I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'm not on board with this. I don't like the, the rifle hunters going in front of the archers. Um, I, I think I just don't like it. Uh, with that being said, I think uh, there are some places that I've heard of in Unit 27 with, you know, pieces of the fire and such that you can glass some of these big bulls. I believe there will be a handful of big bulls probably killed on that rifle hunt because of the ability to glass and get in there and scout those bulls out and, you know, kill them, you know, at, yeah. at 300 yards uh, before anybody jostles with them. Uh, I think the bugling will be a little bit slow, and I think, yeah. uh, but from a glassing standpoint, and be able to get a couple of those big bulls on the ground, I think it'll be big, uh, or it'll be huge. Um, I think the archery hunt—it's a double-edged sword because you're going after the rifle hunt. Uh, but I think having those later dates and going to the 29th of September, I think that last week, like we saw in Unit 9 last year, probably the bugling will intensify the last week. Yes. Um, although, like you say, that full moon might play into it. But um, I don't think the archer. I would rather have the archers go first. I think they'd have a better hunt. Uh, but I do think the last week of the archery hunt in 27 could possibly be pretty darn good. I think the first week could be a big lull after the pressure of the 40 tags and all the guys, friends and all that out helping them. Uh, so what's your take on 27? Yeah, I totally agree. I think the 27 early hunt is going to be a, a spot and stock type of hunt. I, I don't think there'll be a lot of bugling. Of course, they could prove me wrong since I just said that. <laughs> but if it's like unit nine last year, it's definitely going to be more of a glassing type hunt. Um, yeah, with the full moon on the 18th on the archery hunt, I, I believe that that last week is really going to heat up that 23rd through the 29th. So to me, if there was any sleeper archery hunt this year, it would probably be 27. So we're kind of letting the cat out of the bag <laughs> with the later dates. Um, have no idea what unit they're going to do this to next year, but, uh, the only thing to know about 27, if you're considering that as an archery hunter, hunter is that it is a very physical unit. Uh, so it's not the kind of unit that you're going to be able to ramble around and look at a lot of bulls in the morning. I mean, you may be able to hear, you know, five or six bulls from, from your vehicle, but to get out and actually see all of those because of the of the terrain would be difficult. Um, you know, and obviously there's some areas in 27 that aren't as, aren't as physical, but those are going to be more popular on the average. So So to get away from the crowds, you're going to need to go into the steeper country and hunt. You know, and again, I think the bugling could be great, but uh, just realize that that hunt's not for everyone. It's a it's a pretty physical, pretty physical unit. Yeah, for sure, uh, absolutely. Uh, Steve, let's take a quick break here, and then I want to come back and talk about a few of the mid tier units, um, and we'll cover those. Sounds great, Jay. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code until February 28th to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camel patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at Utah Hydrographics. Okay, Steve, I want to talk about some of the mid-tier units, and I know you're a lot like me in that 
we, we're spoiled. You and I are spoiled. Let's just admit it that we like to spend our time in, you know, the four or five best units in the state of Arizona. And personally, we probably don't spend a lot of time. And speaking for myself, I don't spend any time in some of the mid-tier units. <laughs> I, I can tell you that there are some guys that actually have some pretty darn good hunts in, you know, yeah. 7 East, 7 West, Unit 8, 5B South, 6A, you know, 4A, 4B, yeah. uh, you know, some of those mid-level units. Uh, but I think one of the things people have to understand is most of those units have a lot of tags. Most of them, the bugling isn't as good as it is in the top, you know, five or six units. And... Um, uh, what would you say if you're talking about, you know, let's talk about seven East. I know you've hunted seven East and seven West. Right. Uh, what do you think about those two units? Yeah, they, you have to come to those units with the mindset that you're in it for the long haul because you can go literally four and five days in a row with virtually having no bugling and you really start to second guess yourself and you start to second guess the unit. Um, and what it can do is it can cause you to have a moment of weakness and shoot a you know a really a really small bull when you otherwise wouldn't have. So you've just got to keep that uh, mentality that you're you, you know you're in it to win it. You're in it for the long haul. Um, you know, on my seven east hunt, it actually took me to the evening of the thirteenth day before I finally uh, found a bull bugling that was in the caliber of bull that I would take. Um, and again, it was just due to the real spotty bugling and rutting activity. And, and I found that there's just really nothing that we can do about that as hunters. I mean, you you can blow any call that you want. You can, you can bugle, you can cow call, you can estrus call. But if they're not bugling on their own, their hormones are not at that level to be receptive to calls. And just by you blowing a call is not going to all of a sudden, you know, flip a switch for them and make them come running in. So you really need them bugling on their own. Um Really, I had the same experience in 7 West, uh, tagged my bull about halfway through the hunt, but again, up to that point, it had been, you know, really frustrating with, with not a lot of bugling. Um, Steve, what is it in those units as far as, is it less elk, too many people, too much pressure? I mean, in your mind, or you know, cow, bull to cow ratio, what is like the single most important factor that makes, you know, the, the great units and then the mid-tier units, what what is the difference? Yeah, I think it's a combination of all of that. I think first off, bull-to-cow ratio. If you have a lower bull-to-cow ratio, the bulls just aren't as competitive, whereas in units, you know, like we're talking about 9 and 10 and 23, where you've got that really high bull-to-cow ratio, those bulls have to be competitive. Otherwise, they lose out, and they don't they don't have any cows. And then also, I think, a little bit comes into play, you know, with the tag numbers and the high pressure. And then also if a unit is, is close to a high population center, like, you know, maybe Flagstaff, and like you say in Unit 1 can happen where people are just out in the woods recreating and they're not intentionally, uh, you know, trying to trying to spoil the hunt or, 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 or booger the elk up, but that can come into play as well. So I think it's a combination of all of that. Um, and, and, I mean, I've seen it play out many, many times. I, I remember one particular year, the year that uh, you and your wife, Jean, had the Unit 10 tags, and I was in Unit 8. I mean, Unit 8, they were not going. I was there for about 10 days. They just were not bugling. I was going out at, you know, like 1 o'clock in the morning and trolling, listening for bugling all the way through the night into the prime time, and you were hard-pressed to get a pocket of bugling. And then I roll over to Unit 10 with you guys, and you said that they had been bugling all along in Unit 10, they just weren't doing that in Unit 8. I go out with you the next morning in Unit 10, and, and I literally, this is no joke, I heard more bugling in one hour in Unit 10 than I had heard for 10 days in Unit 8. Yeah, I can remember texting back and forth with you all through that you know prior week, and you're like, they're not bugling, and, and you know they're just firing over. And I, it, it's, I try and explain it to people, but it's literally totally different hunting. That's not to say that you can't kill a big bull in Unit 8 or a big bull in 6A or 7 West or whatever. For for bugling, it's in my mind, it's night and day difference. Yes, absolutely. And what you have to do, again, you have to mentally be ready for that if you're hunting one of these mid-tier units. And when they do, do bugle, you have to capitalize. You have to go in there like a starving coyote and make it count. So, yeah, yeah I, I mean, really, in a 14-day hunt, it can come all come down to two or three mornings on the hunt. And, and when they bugle, you've got to make it happen. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think you look at the 7 East, 7 West, Unit 8, 5 East South, you know, you look at 6A, you know, 6B, 4B, 3B, um, you know, I'm looking over these units. They're all about the same. I'm going to kind of throw them all in their own, you know, mid-tier unit. Uh, I would say in all of those units, you could probably kill a 350 bull. Yes. But you're more realistic. You're probably looking at a 300 to a 320. Um, right. And I think that's the difference. I mean, granted, any one of these units, you could kill a 400-inch bull. It can right. happen, and it has happened. Right. But, you know, people need to be realistic that, you know, probably the best end bulls may be a couple bulls, you know, 350-ish. And, you know, you got to think long and hard. You know, depends on how many bulls you've killed and what have you. But, you know, if you come out of any of those mid-tier units with a 320 bull, you've done pretty darn good. Yeah, exactly. People's heads turn when you go down the road with a 320 bull in the back of a truck. And if you have a 350 bull, it's really something special. You know, I always kind of laugh and say that uh, sometimes I think these big bulls can come out of these units like a unit eight because they don't bugle. So when they do finally make the mistake of bugling, they've lived 10 years and they're a 400 inch bull. So yeah, for sure. On the morning they make a mistake of putting their head in a tree and raking and bugling, <laughs> they're going to get shot and they're 10 years old and they're a monster. Yeah. I think, um, I'm going to kind of break this down and you can weigh in if you would like, uh, Steve, if you're looking at the top uh, early rifle slash muzzleloader hunts, and if I was going to say, you know, pick the top three, and this is the top three for killing the biggest bull, uh-huh. you know, throw out draws, throw out resident, non-resident, just as far as size, I think you've got to look at Unit 9, Unit 23 South, Unit 23 North. Those would probably be my top three. Yeah. Number four would probably be a tie between unit 10 and 27 mm-hmm. um, and maybe 3C. And, you know, unit one is probably close there behind. But I think 23 South, unit nine are, are, are probably the top early rifle hunts. What's your thought? Yeah, I agree. Um, it, you know, and, and then amongst the others, it's kind of like splitting hairs. It, it, it just yeah. be... You know, hey, here's a giant bull um, that you didn't really count on being there. But, yeah, I agree with you with the way the winter's shaping up. Unit 9's got to be right up there at the top, as as well as 23 South, because, like you say, it's a fairly remote unit. Uh, it's not, not the type of hunt for just anyone. It takes a special kind of hunter to enjoy that unit. Um, I think as far as top archery hunts, I would say for experience alone... 23 North is pretty hard to beat, and Unit 9 on a good year is pretty hard to beat. Yeah, and the question, again, I think especially for 9 is how will they bugle this year. It's it, To me, it's pretty much a given that they're going to bugle well in 23 North. I mean, if a guy wants a unit where he can count on them bugling year in and year out, and that never is a question, uh, go with 23 North. Um, yeah, I've lost just a little bit of faith in Unit 9 as far as the rutting activity. It can sometimes be hit or miss. Um, but as, yeah, as far as trophy quality and, and just an overall great hunt for 350 type bulls and sometimes better, you, you can't hardly beat it. In my opinion, in Unit 9, I think what holds Unit 9 back and has over the last couple of years, and granted, you know, they killed a couple 400 inch bulls and they have for the last couple of years, but we've seen it at its what we would say is best. One of the things I think that's tough about Unit 9 is because there's so many roads, the elk get constantly pressured. There's really no place to go where people don't get at them. Whereas maybe in 27, maybe in 23, maybe in some of these rougher units, there's less access and maybe a chance where those elk can interact with each other constantly without having human interaction. Whereas I think what's happened in Unit 9, and I'd love to hear your opinion, is there's, you know, the further you walk from a road, the closer you get to another road. And it just seems like those elk get constantly harassed. And I think it, you know, I think the hunter has gotten better. I think they've gotten more mobile. I think they've, you know, got, you know, probably been able to cover more country. 
I think they're bringing more friends with them, and you know those elk are just getting harassed. Yeah, like you mentioned the friends thing, it's pretty amazing how uh, there can be one tag in a camp and you roll by and there's like half a dozen trailers there and 10 people and uh, all those extra people are out scouting and you can bet that they're blowing calls and yeah, I think you really these days have to be on your A game in units like nine because these elk are definitely getting pressured and called at, so you've got to do everything just right or they're they're just not callable. yeah, and, and by contrast, you go into a unit like a 27 or areas of 23, and uh, you can get away from that. and You can, you can uh, get on and call the elk that haven't been uh, educated, so to speak. Um, you know, having good road systems is a blessing and a curse because it, it can spread people out. But then also when you've got enough people out there, which you typically have with Unit 9 because it's kind of known as the country club elk kind of, of Arizona, uh, yeah, you just get people covering it from top to bottom, and those elk feel the pressure. Yeah, and I mean, I'm I'm as guilty as anybody to having helpers in my camp and such. But like you say, say say that I'm with a client and and I'm having a rough bugling morning. In in one text, I can get from someone that's over in a completely different part of the unit who's been driving and listening off the roads and be like, I hit five pockets over here, Jay. They're going crazy. Get yeah. over here. Yeah. And in in 15 minutes, I can be, you know, 10 miles away, and all of a sudden, boom, I'm right in the middle of them bugling. So it's a blessing and a curse, like you say. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, well, Steve, I think um, I think we covered a, a, a lot of ground here. I would ask you, do you have anything else to add? Um, but before that, I'd like to say that uh, you run a great uh, guiding operation. You're a great person. You have great character, and I'm happy to call you a friend. And uh, I would encourage anybody that's uh, interested in going on a guided hunt to definitely give Steve Chapel a call. Uh, Steve is a phenomenal person and, and, and great elk hunter. Uh, great elk caller has taught me a lot about calling elk, and um, it's a pleasure to call you a friend, buddy. And I would just say, you know, do you have anything to add to people listening to this this elk application episode? Yeah, thank you, Jay. I really appreciate the kind words, and um, likewise to you. Um, you know, you've been real influential in my life. Um, you know, I think you you have also brought my calling along a lot uh, with uh, some of the things you've taught me and. Um, I know we kind of grew up in Arizona elk hunting, so to speak, meeting back in 1995. I think the only thing that I would uh, would close with, and I don't think I covered this, is um, with the Arizona draw and it being a five-choice system, uh, what people should realize is that it all comes down to your first and second choice. Um, I know there's five choices on the application, but with the way our draw works, by the time they go through the bonus point round where they issue the first 20% of the tags to the high point holders, and then they, the second phase of the draw, they go through everyone's first and second choices. By the time they get to the third phase of the draw and they're looking at third through fifth choices, there's just not any bull tags left. So there's no reason to even contemplate or, or, or you know mentally struggle over what you're going to put third, fourth, or fifth. Uh, so, so the best strategy and the one that I use is I always put the absolute dream hunt that I would love to go on the most, as I referred to earlier, the Disneyland elk hunt. And then I'm going to back that up with either another great, great unit or a unit that's got slightly better draw odds. You know, and to me, uh, people can use that strategy or they could put a mid-tier type hunt as their second choice. But you always want to put the absolute best hunt, the one you'd want to go on the most first choice, and then uh, consider the odds on your second choice. If you do that, you're going to draw a lot more tags, and you're going to especially give your chance at the, you, you know yourself the chance at that dream hunt one day. I absolutely agree. I think that's a great point, Steve. One of the it just dawned on me. I want to ask you this question, and without sounding like a bumbling idiot, do you remember? Okay, let me walk this. Let me think this through. Let's say that you had. Let's just say, for for example, you had 20 – no, let's say you had 18 bonus points, okay? Uh-huh. For, and you put, you're a non-resident, and let's say we're talking about before this change of 5 and 5, and you had 18 bonus points as a non-resident. Uh-huh. And your first choice you put in for uh, Unit 9 muzzleloader. 
And your second choice you put in for Unit 3C Archery. Yes. The way I understand it, you never had a chance at the Unit 9 muzzleloader. That's exactly You automatically draw your second choice because your second choice has enough max points to draw in that pool. My question is, and I hadn't even thought of it till you said that, yeah. how is this 5-5 five and five going to now affect... I know someone last year that put in for nine archery with seven, I think it was 17 points and 10 archery with 17 points. And I told him, why did you do that? Yeah, you're guaranteed. You automatically yep. draw your second choice. You never had a chance at unit nine archery. You never, what do you mean I didn't have a chance? Because it fulfilled your second choice automatic. So how is that going to work with the five and five? Yeah, How's that going to change? Back to that, the reason for that is because the first phase of the draw is the bonus point round. And in the bonus point round, the computer is considering both your first and your second choice. So if you have an overabundance of bonus points for a certain unit, like, yeah, if you have 17 points and you put in for nine archery and 10 archery, you're going to draw that 10 archery tag in the bonus point round. So there's not even the opportunity to get the nine tag in the random part of the draw, and you don't draw it in the bonus point round because you're a point or two short. So that's a that's an excellent point. Um, as far as the five and five under this new system, it's you know we're going to have to wait and see just a little bit what the bonus point totals do. Um, but I believe residents especially need to be careful about that, and you need to think about what your second choice is. And you're going to need to look at the stats. You know, Jay's been talking about the points that it takes to draw these hunts. And again, if your second choice, if, if you have the bonus point total to draw or you have more points than it takes to draw that hunt, again, you're going to get it in the, in the bonus point round and you're not even going to give yourself the chance to get that better hunt. So you've got to be really careful when you consider that second choice and make sure that it's a hunt that you would really want to go on if you draw it. Yeah, good point. Good point. Well said. Uh, Steve, I want to thank you for being on. Uh, I want to give you a chance uh, how people can contact you uh, through your website or phone or however you want to, however you want people to contact you. Yeah, thanks, Jay. Um, the website is, uh, of course, www.chapelguideservice.com, and Chapel has two P's and two L's. Uh, we also have links on there to our Facebook page, uh, and we also have a YouTube channel that we have a link on there for. And, uh, yeah, there's just a lot of information on the website, unit descriptions. Of course, we have uh, success photos, videos. Um, I think there's just a, you know, just a, just a lot of interesting, entertaining information. Uh, you know, we have hunter testimonials on there. Um, yeah, I'm just excited about our website. I think people would really enjoy it and then link to the Facebook and the and the YouTube channel from there. Yeah, awesome. Well, buddy, it's uh, been great having you on. Uh, I look forward to seeing you down the road here uh, when I see you and uh, tell uh, your family hello. And um, I'm glad the girls are doing great. And um, uh, like I said, it's a pleasure having you on, always on the podcast, a friend of mine and a friend of the podcast. I just appreciate you and uh, uh, look forward to uh, seeing you again. Yeah, Jay, it's a privilege and a pleasure always. I was excited when you got a hold of me yesterday to visit with you today. And uh, yeah, you, you tell Gene hello. And uh, I'll look forward to maybe seeing you this summer out there. Or if not, we'll uh, see each other in the Elk Woods. Maybe we'll be camped close together again. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, buddy. All right. All right, take care. Thanks, Jay.